0: Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. This morning, we are going to do a message as we move through the Gospel of Mark. We are going to do a message called Just Give Me the Crumbs. All right, Mark 7. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 30. I have to admit, with this slide, I told my wife this week what the message was, and I said, well, the message really has this image of a little puppy or a little dog under the table. And she began to go on the hunt for the right graphic, and so that's why we have what we have up there. And all God's people said, (laughs) aw. I have to admit, I have a huge soft spot for dogs. In fact, I believe that most dogs are Christians. (laughs) Here's why I believe that. They will love you. They show the love that we're supposed to show to people every day, no matter what you do to them, no matter if you don't feed them on time. Always, man our, our dog at the time right now is Sage. She's a little 30 pound shepherd mix. And uh, Sage loves crumbs. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and she knows I'm soft. And the rest of our family knows that I'm soft too. They know if I'm eating something, Sage will be well fed. <laughs> Next to feeding my family, Sage is a close second. And I just kinda, and if I'm making something, she just, <laughs> because she knows something good's coming. Hopeful eyes, anticipation, and I toss her things here and there, and she's so happy with the crumbs. Now, I doubt the salvation of most cats. I just want you to know. (laughs) If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. (laughs) On many levels, no. I've heard from cat people that there's some nice cats. I've never met one, but anyway. (laughs) I was talking with my neighbor one day and my neighbor is a dog person and he goes, you know, Michael, I've never met a dog I didn't like. And I would have to agree with that. Implied in that statement was I've met many people I didn't like, (laughs) anyway. Just give me the crumbs, this is the message. This particular account falls between two important stories that we should take note of between the feeding of the 5,000 on Jewish land and the feeding of the 4,000 which will happen in a, in a message ahead of us that happened on Gentile land in the Decapolis. So those two stories are interesting relating to this story because after the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children, how many baskets did they pick up? 12, and remember I told you that the, the uh, message there on a different level, if you will, 12 represents Israel. They had 12 full baskets. Everybody who ate that day was fully satisfied. They, it was like Thanksgiving, right? They're all full. Everybody got as much as they wanted and they picked up 12 full baskets. And there's a message there. And What Jesus is saying is I'm the bread of life and I can take care of the 12. Not just the 12 apostles, it may be directly related to them, but also the nation represented by the 12 tribes. I am the answer. I am the bread of life which came down out of heaven. In a future message, Jesus will go to the Gentile side of the lake and feed the 4,000. And they'll pick up seven baskets. And there, the seven represents the seven nations that were on the other side of the river. We'll talk about that when we get there. And that represents the Gentile nations. And what God is saying through the two feedings is I can take care of Israel, and I can take care of the Gentiles. If you're wondering what Gentile means, it simply means someone who's not Jewish. And so what these two feedings mean is that on a deeper level, God is saying, I can take care of your soul, I can, feed the most uh, important part of you, the inner man. And so uh, one other thing, and, I, and I'm sure you've taken note of this already, this particular story also comes right on the heels of the debate about what makes a person clean or unclean. To the Jewish religious mind, especially the Pharisees and scribes, they felt it was ceremonial washings and what you ate and what you wear and, and the like. But Jesus corrected that. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of a man. And what comes out of a person, whether it be immoralities or slander or whatever you want to talk about, which is in that list that we looked about, we looked at last time, if you look at Mark seven twenty, it says, Mark seven twenty, that which proceeds out of the mound that out of the man, that is what defiles the man, that's what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, verse 22, Mark 7, wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. It's interesting, in Matthew's account, it was Peter himself who asked Jesus to explain what he meant by that. And Peter will become a very focal point of the ongoing story of the gospel. In fact, it will be Peter who ends up going to the house of Cornelius. Uh, He's there in Joppa and he receives the vision of the sheet of clean and unclean animals and the whole vision is not just about food, it's about people. And Peter will go and he will break through a threshold and the gospel will go to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And Peter will have to overcome his own biases. He will have to overcome his own prejudices because in Jewish thought, Gentile people, Gentile food, Gentile lands, and Gentile dirt made you unclean. That's what they thought. They thought if you traveled through certain lands and you got the dirt on your sandals, you had to get that dirt off of you. You had to go through a ceremonial cleansing. They felt they couldn't go into Gentile dwellings, eat Gentile food, spend time with Gentile people. And Jesus is about to do something very alarming to the Jewish mind. And it goes in concert with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the issue of what makes one clean before God. He is about to leave the precincts or the area of Israel and go to a region called Tyre. If you pick up the story, Mark seven twenty-four. From there, after he had this debate with the religious leaders, Mark seven twenty-four, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. Now, uh, I wanna point out something to you that this, this particular story is also found in Matthew. And it would be good if you just go ahead and hold a place in Matthew 15. Would you do that now? I just want to show you uh, just a sub point here, but Matthew 15, 21 uh, is the text, and it says these words. Just hold your place so you can kind of flip back and forth. It says, and if you're on a, a digital device, however you flip back and forth on that. Matthew 15, 21 says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon or Sidon. That's Matthew 15, 21. This is the only time that we know of in Jesus' earthly ministry that he ever left the land of Israel, ever. In his three, three and a half year ministry, it's the only time, the only record that he went outside of the country of Israel. And some of you are thinking with me and you go, ah, there was one other time that he left Israel. It was when he was just a child. He was taken to Egypt to be protected from Herod. We know that story. But I'm talking about in his earthly ministry as he did what he did, preaching and doing miracles. This is the only time he leaves. If you go back to Mark seven twenty four, and the timing of this incident, of course, is very important. From there he rose and he went to the region of Tyre and he entered a house. Now here's a map um, of this particular area. And if you locate the Dead Sea that's in the south and you go up, follow the map up to the north, you'll see the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and so forth. And then just go to the Mediterranean coast. So it's this way, up above where the ship is and you'll see the two areas of Sidon, Tyre and Sidon. Tyre is about 20 miles northwest of Capernaum, where much of Jesus' ministry occurred. And if you just keep going up, going up north, you'll see Sidon, or Sidon, and that was about 50 miles from Capernaum. So these were two, obviously from their positions on the Mediterranean Sea, two very major seaport cities. Very eclectic, but one thing that we do know about them, you can go back to the sermon slide, thank you, Lisa. One thing that we do know about these places is they were Hellenized, what does that mean? They were very steeped in Greek culture, probably most of the people that lived in this place spoke Greek, but one of the most important things we need to see about this particular area is that people usually embrace the Greek religious philosophy, which included Greek mythology, uh, paganism, many gods, uh, a lot of corruption, a lot of immorality that went with their worship. And so for the disciples to go outside of Israel to a region like this had to be in their mind like, what are we doing? It was one thing to go to the other side of the lake. That was tough enough just to go to Gentile territory still in Israel. But it was quite another thing to go up to Tyre and up to Sidon at this time. And they had to be wondering, why are you taking us to this place? These places are unclean. These people are unclean. I thought you were sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, they might be thinking. But off they went. It wasn't that long of a journey, just, you know, some 20 miles to get into this region. And off they went. It is very interesting when you begin to look at some scripture on Tyre and Sidon, uh, some of the history. There's an oracle written against Tyre in Isaiah 23. It says these words, this, if for your notes, Isaiah 23, 1 says, The oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. It is reported to them from the land of Cyprus. That's Isaiah 23.1. Tyre and Sidon were ancient enemies of Israel. They were corruptors. In fact, they were the, at their time, you could call them the ancient FedEx or UPS. They had cornered the market on taking goods and so forth and shipping them all around the world. They had a lot of power, a lot of influence. And Tyre and Sidon, because of their locations, corrupted many people. In fact, um, you could call them religious corruptors. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses the origins of christmas in honor of the 500th year of the reformation we did two part message on sola scriptura is the bible alone sufficient is it our highest authority scientology intriguing topics that are available on the walk in truth store at walkintruth.com there'll be more to come more exciting things to come everybody if you would turn to first kings first kings Let's take scripture with scripture and take a look at what this uh, place is like. First Kings, let's go to chapter 11. 1 Kings 11. It says these words. Now, King Solomon, 1 Kings 11, verse one, loved many foreign women. 1 Kings 11, one. Along with a daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, and would you note this, Sidonian and Hittite women. First Kings 11.1, one, just mark it. That's Sidon right there. That's this area of Tyre and Sidon. And, and this was the undoing in many ways of Solomon because he began to embrace women and whether or not, you know, all of his marriages, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and you say, oy ve, really? How much counseling did, did this guy need? I mean, anyway. Some people say a lot of his marriages were political marriages, but he was involved. In fact, the Bible says he loved these women, so it seems to be more than political, at least with some of them. And here's what Solomon did. 1 Kings 11.5 says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Many of you know Solomon's story. If you turn over to 1 Kings 16, how Solomon began to try to appease these wives and their religion by setting up high places to their gods and they would burn incense to these detestable idols and the Lord was angry with Solomon, the Bible says. Solomon began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And even Solomon, with all his great wisdom, writing the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, what we call in our Bibles the wisdom literature, the wisest man perhaps that ever lived, save Jesus Christ himself. What did he do? He didn't even follow his own wisdom. You ever look at yourself in the mirror sometimes and say, boy, I knew better. (laughs) It's not like I didn't know. But sometimes, man, my flesh seems so weak. And Tyre was a religious corrupter. If you look at 1 Kings 16, pick up the account in verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, 1 Kings sixteen thirty, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the, what? Sidonians. Do you know that Jezebel came from this area as well and she was corrupted by this religious upbringing that she got and he went to serve Baal and worshiped him, so he erected an altar, verse 32, for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. The, thus, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Would you go? Go keep going towards the New Testament. And turn to the book of Ezekiel. Pass up the Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Lamentations, and you'll get to Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and let's go to chapter twenty-eight. Ezekiel 28. A Little bit more on the history of these areas. I could do a lot on this, but I just wanna show you some of the Old Testament stuff on this. So take a look, it says, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Ezekiel 28. Thus says, verse two, Ezekiel 28, two. Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God's, Ezekiel 28, two, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man and not God. Although you make your heart like the heart of God, Ezekiel 28.3, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. This is ironic language. And go down to verse 12, 28.12. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub, verse 14, who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created, until righteousness was excuse me, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as a profane as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Turn back to Mark chapter seven. You may be familiar with the fact that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, Bible scholars agree, uh, there's at least whole uh, uh, agreement on most scholars' parts that Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 speak on a sublevel of Satan's fall. The king of Tyre is addressed here, and one thing that we need to understand about prophecy is that prophecy often works on many levels. A person, a contemporary of the time may be addressed, but on a sublevel, there can be a prophetic scene. It could be something that's happening in the life of the prophet and something that's hundreds of years ahead like in the case of Jesus fulfilling prophecy. But here, the individual behind the king of Tyre is Lucifer or Satan. He's being addressed as the power behind the king, if you will. And there's no way the king of Tyre is being mentioned here as the covering cherub and the one who was there on the mountain of God and so forth. This language has to be of another being, another being who fell and fell hard. And why did he fall? Because of pride. And it seems that Satan's influence in Tyre and Sidon was very strong And false religion, when you see uh, people worshiping false gods, you need to know that much of it, if not all of it, is energized by the lies of Satan. If he can get a person to believe that them being religious is sufficient to be okay for whatever, the current life or the life to come, this is how he does most of his effective work in the world. Do you know that at the time that Jesus lived, there were very few atheists, but there were many pagans. There were many people who believed in mythology, but they did not embrace the God of the Bible. And this has been Satan's lie from the beginning, not to deny the existence of God, but to put false gods before people. You must have the right God. You must know who God is and how you get saved, or you can be wrong enough to lose your soul. When people get into debates about theology, which is simply the study of God, you need to know what's at stake. Sometimes people say, ah, leave them alone. Those people are fine in their religion. No, they're not. I interviewed two pastors in India who before they became pastors, both told me they were demon-possessed by going to the Hindu temple and burning incense to those so-called gods. This is no laughing matter. Why, pray tell, with this history in mind, if you're one of the apostles, you must be thinking, why are we here? Why have you taken us to this area of the world that is, in their minds, corrupt? And they don't even want to step foot in there. They didn't believe him. Gentiles could go to heaven. And so Jesus is in this house, Mark seven twenty-four. I don't know whose house it is, but he's entered into this place and he wanted no one to know of it, yet Mark seven twenty four. he could not escape notice. Have you ever just gone somewhere to get away? Maybe you went to a, another city. Maybe you said, we're gonna get out of Dodge, baby. And you go somewhere and you run into people from your own area where you went. Yeah. <laughs> because wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> I know that's deep, but you'll. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, write that down, that's, that's, that's a keeper. Share that with your friends, would you? <laughs> Mark seven twenty five. but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. Remember, there was the debate about what makes a person clean and unclean. Here is the mention of an unclean spirit. What makes a spirit unclean? The same thing that makes people unclean. Evil, sin. A third of the angels fell to what? To sin, they rebelled against God. So here's an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit. Immediately came, this is a woman whose daughter had the unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. So Jesus is located in this house. I don't know if the woman came into the house. Um, she may have, or if this is happening outside, but she falls at his feet. She's located him, she's heard of him. She's had a burden on her heart. I don't know how long it's been happening, but her daughter is cruelly demon possessed. In Mark 9, when we get there, we'll read of a father who approaches Jesus about his son. The son is cruelly demon possessed, and the demon causes the son to fall into fires and into water. Many uh, experts in this realm say that the goal of satanic um, possession and manipulation is to mar the image of God in an individual. How did a little daughter get an unclean spirit in her? We must ask the question. Probably because mom was dabbling with the religion of Tyre. And you know, we've heard these stories where seances and, and things are held within homes and all of a sudden there's weird things that begin to happen. I have a book on my shelf, if you're interested in these stories, that has several stories about people who dabbled quote unquote in this stuff. And I tell you what, it got frighteningly real. There are many people who think this is a joke, but it's no joke. And it seems like in these stories that we run into in the, in the gospel time and time again, We see people with these unclean spirits. This is Walk in Truth Radio, and we have the privilege of coming over this station to you. But the privilege does have a cost, and we just want to take a moment to let you know that we want to thank you for praying for us and partnering with us. There's a way that you can give to this radio broadcast. We do have some wonderful open doors. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth, radio ministry of living truth, we deeply appreciate it. Uh, When Oscar and I walk into this studio and we have Cameron doing recording for us, none of us get paid to do radio. We're doing it because it's a passion. Here's how you can help us out. You can go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the Donate tab. You'll see a picture of Pastor Michael there. Make sure that when you go to the PayPal account, you indicate that your gift is for radio ministry. If you'd like to send a gift, you can send it to livingtruth1009. Arsenal Way, think of the armor of God, Corona, California, 92880. Again, that is Living Truth, 1009, Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. If you have any needs that we can help you with, you can always give us a call. The office is open on the West Coast here in Southern California, Tuesday through Friday from nine to about five in the afternoon. Our number is 951 735-2856. 735-2856. You can find out all that information and directions to the Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona by going to our website. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time. Hey folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to walkintruth.com and in the contact form, Let us know that you're listening. Let us know who you are, what station you listen on, how the programs impacted your life and even how we can pray for you. That'd be a great blessing to us. And if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners to say, hey, Pastor Michael, this is how the programs impacted me and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners. So that'd be a blessing to us. Go to walkintruth.com in the contact form. Just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us, tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.